0: Welcome to Revolutionary Ideas, the monthly Marxist podcast from Socialist Alternative. Socialists believe in changing the world. This wouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. But what is our deeper philosophy of change? The Marxist philosophy of dialectical materialism can be a daunting place to start for many. Engels' classic works, like Socialism, Utopian and Scientific, as well as Dialectics of Nature, are both classic expositions of this theory, but in this episode, our regular panellists, Connor and Yara, will be speaking to Dave Jones, a socialist alternative activist in Merseyside, to discuss the relevance of these ideas for us today, and how we can begin to get our heads around it. Without further ado, I'll pass on to you three.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Revolutionary Ideas. This is episode 9 of our podcast and we are here with Dave Jones. So uh, I want to ask you first, I guess it's a very broad question, but I think this, this, this kind of theory from Marx's thought is the main thing that people talk about uh, when they talk about the philosophy behind Marxism. So what, what, what is it? What does it actually mean?
2: Yeah, I mean, dialectical materialism um, is the, the philosophy that, that, that underpins Marxism. And basically it's a coming together of, of two schools of philosophy, um, dialectics and materialism. And it was Marx that first pulled those two different schools of thought or types of thought, trends of thought together to come up with a new way of, of analysing the world and interpreting
3: it. You know, that's that's a good point. And obviously there's these kind of two ideas, dialectics and materialism. And I think dialectics is not necessarily a term that you'd hear outside of these kinds of discussions in, in kind of everyday life. But essentially it's this this point that everything's always changing and people who are interested in dialectics are looking at processes. They're interested in kind of looking at how things change. Um, and to go back to pretty much the first, uh, dialectical kind of philosopher, who was an ancient Greek philosopher called Heraclitus. He said that you can never jump in the same river twice. The river's always changing slightly. You're always changing slightly. And it's about looking at, yeah, how these things change, acknowledging that things never kind of stay in this kind of state of, uh, kind of eternally being static and, uh, and, you know, I think that that's a really important way to make sure that we're looking at the world.
2: Yeah, and I, I, th- I think just in terms of that as well, I mean, looking at dialectics, I mean, the the actual word comes from an old Greek word and my pronunciation might not be great here, dialego, which is basically about looking at a problem or a question from all different angles, testing it out, um, probing it, if you like, to come to a rounded out solution or answer and I think that's very much ties in with you know how we look at the processes within society to try and get that rounded out view of events rather than just a static view um and um, that static view is the opposite to the, the way Marxists interpret the world and look at it
1: yeah I think there's always kind of like the dichotomy between kind of metaphysics and kind of seeing the static uh, versus dialectics and seeing the processes, and I think I don't remember I think it was Trotsky who compared it to looking at a picture versus looking at the actual world or looking at a film uh, and I think it's really important to think about it because i don't think we are kind of you know, reject metaphysics altogether it's useful in some cases to look at some like to pause time for a second and, and inspect something as it is at one particular moment in time but I think the point that you made about high dialectics is about looking at everything from every angle is particularly important, because when you look at one moment in time, even if you look at all of the angles, you're missing what brought this moment on and where this moment is going. And I think that is something that's really big for Marxists, I think, you know, there's always this kind of joke about Marxists, about how we we only care about predicting the future, and we have this crystal ball that you always look at, into. but. It all comes down to this philosophy, to the philosophy of inspecting something in its movement. And when you inspect something in its movement, you also look at where it's going and where it's headed. And you're able to make actual predictions that in a lot of cases come true. And I think, again, I think it was Strotsky who made the point that it doesn't matter um, if this theory is 100 or in our case 200 years old. If it's the theory that manages to get actual predictions about history then it's the most modern theory of all
2: yeah and I think the um, that that is so true it is um, about um, not being tied down to, to when a theory developed around how it's applied today and looking at those processes so important one of the um, I, th- I think it was an actual an, an article um, that Trotsky wrote, that that it might have been the title of the article or the title of a paragraph, that the statement he made around the superiority of foresight over astonishment. Um, And I think that's, that is so important. And it's not that we, you know, we haven't got, there's no Marxist crystal ball sat in the corner of our, you know, our rooms here, Um, but it is about analysing what possibly may happen and looking at, at how society may develop and not get caught unawares, because you do see people getting caught unawares too often. People with all the right ideas, you know, how many people got so convinced that Corbyn must win the last election? And when they didn't, when he didn't, they were stunned. There was a you know, they were literally stunned and didn't know how to react. Um, or when the Tory, you know, when the Tories win an election being stunned. Having that foresight, hopefully, um, counteracts that stunning effect, at least upon the, the leading layers.
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, dialectics is obviously something that is very useful for us. So what's the other half of this? We're talking about dialectical materialism. What's materialism? Uh, Marxists are really obsessed with having lots of, you know, nice nice things and um and that sort of stuff. Um, we just material
1: kind of- girls in a material world, aren't we? <laughs>
2: it's it's funny because the the use of language is always interesting, and idealism is perhaps in, in common language is seen as a more positive thing than, than materialism. Um, you know, it is the idea. Materialism in in sort of everyday language can be seen as. Being fascinated with getting the latest trinket or the latest gadget and focused on getting on in the world a sense of greed if you like, and idealism in that everyday sense is about you know being principled somehow uh, maybe a bit naive but being principled when actually when you look at it from a scientific point of view, I think the the positions are are reversed um and materialism is more around being based in the world um, itself, recognised that everything is knowable in this world and that the world exists independently of us. Whereas for idealists, it's it's the opposite way around. The unknowable is a key aspect to idealism with religion explaining everything um, that we don't know. And actually that um, somehow the world doesn't exist independently of us. So it's it sort of flipped upon its head when you're talking in more scientific terms.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, it can kind of seem like quite a kind of lofty academic point, this idea of uh, materialism versus idealism. But really, when you look at how that comes into practice, I think it's, you know, it's very clearly actually not such an academic kind of question. You know, you, you will see people that would, you know, use, use religious arguments behind their politics and that kind of thing, which of course we wouldn't, but even, you know, more kind of grounded ideas like, you know, you'd see a lot of idealists talking about history being made by great men or uh, of kind of big ideas, but Marxists don't see it that way. We'd look at, the material factors, the economics, the social relations that forces in society, things like class struggle, and uh, base our understanding on that. And I, th- I think that that's, you know, a really crucial difference.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, when you you look at how um, Marx applied materialism, and in one of his um, pamphlets, the German ideology, he talked about how people are, are conditioned by the development of the productive forces around them and stated that, you know, consciousness can never be anything other than conscious existence. And existence is about the actual life process and therefore your consciousness expands as the conditions develop and the knowledge grows. That's what gives us the potential to organize society based on where we are, are now um, and to to use the technology as it's developed to this stage um, to organise it in a way appropriate to our time.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really important point, and I think you know, again, another cliche said about Marxists is we always talk about you know the the objective conditions, the material conditions, but it's not it's not an academic term. It's we're we're looking at the world and we're seeing that change happens in people because of the situation that they're in. It's not some kind of you know ethereal kind of change in in their mind it's it comes down to the experiences that they have in their lives which come down to the way that society is organized to the way that they actually live the actual material life and I think the combination of kind of dialectics and materialism is a great way to actually kind of look at things throughout history and see how that happens so I think the point that Connor made before about how there's this perception that history moves through great men you know there's this again cliche of like a kind of liberal thought that the first world war started because of the assassination of Franz ferdinand but we as marxists are gonna point at the processes that brought to the point where this one thing that triggered it wasn't actually one thing it was just a whole lot of things that kind of culminated. And I think that kind of brings me on to another question that I wanted to ask you. We, we talk a lot about the contradictions, the contradictions in Marxism, the contradictions in history. And I wanted to ask you, what, what does that mean and how does that connect to to dialectical materialism?
2: Yeah, I think when we, we look at um, society, in fact, when we look at, at all elements of life, you can look at the the natural world um in a similar sort of basis. But when we look at society, there are competing forces at play. Um for the longest time, for for certainly longer than I can care to remember, there's been conflicting classes within our society. Um and those um classes will regularly conflict. You can see that in a workplace where the, the manager wants, you know, um to increase the production rates um the worker doesn't want to word himself out and you get that that um constant sort of um clashing to to repeat that that word taking place and through that you find a, a level of development that comes from that you reach a new stage um you know so you in terms of the workplace you will reach a, a, an agreement with the manager of how, the work will be organized at that time. But you know that the next day, the manager is gonna to wanna to push back and the work is gonna to wanna to push forward. And, and the, that, that clash will start all over again. And I think it's those two two different opposite forces, working class and ruling class in this example, constantly coming together, battering heads if you like, reaching a temporary solution, and then the next day starting all over again.
3: Yeah, I think that that's important. Yeah, it happens through these contradictions. And they're really like the motor force of the change and to see how things change. And also, because we do want to try and work out in advance what direction things are going, we have to look at the the forces that drive the change, have to kind of lift up the bonnet of of the kind of vehicle of society and look at the inner workings of it. Um, and only on that basis can we you know, really kind of get that kind of deeper understanding. Um, and as you said, like the real kind of fundamental contradiction that Marx was looking at was the the contradictions that uh, there were between the working class who produced the wealth in society and produced the surplus of that wealth and the capitalists who want to take control of as much as that surplus as possible and you know we can see the results of that in things like austerity in recent years but also on the other hand the fights back against the establishment from the working class which isn't always uh, totally black and white but i think when we look at things like brexit the corbyn movement and all of these kinds of things we can definitely see where they come from if we look at it like that and uh you know these have both been issues that you've seen the kind of liberal establishment being utterly kind of confused over why these things have come about well it's very clear for us
2: yeah and i think it's it's also important i think to to recognize the the impact or the the effect an outside agency can have upon the the situation um so you, you've got the two forces competing, and there can be a sort of equilibrium. What can upset that sort of equilibrium that stops it just um, seesawing backwards and forwards, but becomes a significant change that that takes place? Those um, external forces can be quite um, quite small if you're looking at a workplace, a small factory. Um, it could be a change in the Bank of England interest rates that, that affect that. It can be much broader. Um, one thing I think we need to be aware of now as a potential agent for change, of course, is the, the COVID pandemic. Um, you know that is something that that hasn't applied within society, um, certainly for for some period of time within within the um, the Western society, if you like, um, the G seven sort of nations but that is something that's an external agency that could affect a real change. Now we'll we'll see how that that develops, but it will certainly have an impact. We're seeing the slogans sort of coming out of no going back to normal. Um and the the potential is there for that at having that um qualitative change.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think COVID is a really good example of what we mean when we say material conditions as well. Because it's something that is natural in a way. It's something that had no basis in ideas. It was just something that happened. But the way that it impacts the world is dialectical. It's the way that humans are dealing with this pandemic, the way that humans are dealing with the virus in the first place to make it into a pandemic. And then the way that we've been dealing with lockdowns, with the vaccine, the way that we see how there's this, again, contradiction, this clash between the ruling class and the working class, that the people who are paying for this and the people who can shield themselves from it. And I think that really leads me well into kind of the basis of the processes of change in society, which according to Marx, according to Engels, according to dialectical materialism are the working class uh, and are the class struggle you know, there's this famous uh, sentence from the Communist Manifesto about how the history of the history of everything is the history of class struggle. And we are going to talk about that particular uh, piece of writing in the next episode, in episode 10, um, next month. But I think that it's really important to explain kind of why Marx is saying that, you know, history is all about the the contradiction between the ruling class and the working class, that the history is class struggle.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, for... For so long um, you know since the the turn of the industrial Revolution we've seen the development of the working class and of course you know inherent within the the ideas of capitalism is that the way in which um, capitalism the bosses um, survive and prosper is by trying to take as much off the working class as possible almost you know to, to leave us enough to live. Um, and little more than that, if they could get away from it. Whereas, um, from the working class's point of view, we want a, a better standard of living. Um, we want to to take back as much as as our own the value we brought to society. We want as much as that for ourselves, as a as a class. Well, ideally, all of it, um, which would be the overthrow of capitalism. And I think it's it's that that's led to that. Um, Um, class struggle over the last 200 300 years
3: this point about class struggles really interesting i think because uh for those of us that have been out on the picket lines or at a protest and this kind of thing it might seem very strange to be talking about philosophy uh this very kind of abstract subject as it's known to be and you know, not something that might seem immediately obvious when you're out there on the street, but for Marxists, this is something that we see as very important. So I think it's worth discussing what use does dialectical materialism have for us as activists, for us as campaigners and organisers in the movement, in the class struggle, and how will it actually, you know, help us build that struggle?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because you can say, you know, well, what relevance is philosophy? We just want to get a better pay rise. Um, and you, you could make the same sort of arguments about mathematics, you know, well, who needs to know about mathematics? That's just a complicated science, but actually it comes to, you know, what percentage pay rise you want. It's exactly the same with, with philosophy in terms of um, the dialectical materialism. It helps us understand the processes. I'm a, I'm a union rep. Um, and I think you need to understand the mood of the of the workers um, you're standing alongside, the mood of the the class on a broader level. You know, where is their consciousness at? Um, are they at the stage where they're ready to walk off the job and say we've had enough, or are they um, in the position where they think, well, you know, we, we we've got no chance here, because you've got you've got to you cannot be det- detached from the 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 rest of the working class and it's understanding exactly where people are at on that day and that will change on a day-to-day basis um, and on a month-to-month basis you can have a ballot for a strike action one day and you'll lose it the next day you could go in something will have changed who knows what that may be and the result will be different
1: yeah, and I think it's it's a really important point because I think, you know, I, we started with this quote about how you can never go into the same river tw- twice. And I think it's very clear when you go to a protest, it almost never feels the same. E- even, like, you know, from uh, as, as a person going to the protest, you see the differences in consciousness, especially when you're talking about picket line uh, of a long um, kind of industrial action you can see the way that the consciousness of workers changes as the struggle progresses and I think that's obviously you know, like a micro example of this bigger process in society of the way that the working class interprets the way that how the world works and I think that that is why this philosophy has to get in there because we are not just talking about philosophy in a classroom just thinking about what, uh, what, what moves the world. We are using that philosophy in the struggle to progress the struggle, and to kind of get it to a point where it's winning something and progresses history, like Marx was saying.
2: I think you know, the, the key word um, or little phrase that used in that for me was around progress in the struggle. Because of course, as, as Marxists, we're not sort of passive passive observers Um, just taking a note of the mood of the working class. Um, But we are actors on the, you know, on the the stage of history and and we can influence events. You know, it's quite right to say that um, great men or indeed great women um, can't alone change society, but you can have an impact. Um, Lenin could not have willed the Russian revolution to have happened however strong his will was. However, when the circumstances were right, he can influence and take advantage of those situations. And that's what we're doing on a much smaller scale. I can never pretend to operate on such a grand scale as Lenin did. Um, But on a very small scale, it's (laughs) about how we can um, affect those changes, know the mood of of people and know when to say, right let's do something let's let's take this action let's you know um it's it's getting that instinctive feel of when is the right moment to act
3: i think this point that we've come to really that marxist theory is a guide to action is really important and in fact if you divorce it from the action you've really only got half of what this philosophy is about, because the whole point of it is that, you know, these are ideas to uh, build the fight to change the system. And we can see from history, you know, the, the, the fights change the system. Actually, uh, you know, you look at the Russian Revolution, it wasn't led by those who started with bombs. But as it said, it was led by those who started with dialectics. The Bolsheviks in Russia, uh, obviously, uh, Lenin among them, led the Russian revolution but they did that on the basis of the understanding of society the understanding of the way class struggle works and uh, and you know how all that can be driven to uh, you know to kind of revolutionary conclusions and how it can be uh, directed to uh, to overthrow capitalism. And I think that that's, you know, that's why we talk about this so much, isn't it? Because it's, you know, it's a tool for actually helping us build that struggle uh, to change society.
2: It absolutely is. You know, it's, it's not um, an academic exercise that, that we're involved in. Um, you know, wh- whether we're working in a, you know, on a small scale or a big scale, we are looking to change the world the task uh, in front of us is uh, is immense it's about creating a new world um, a new form of society and and that's not something that will will happen easily um, and that's where the the importance of these ideas lies you know and we we need to be intelligent in um in our approach to the ideas that, you know, as we were discussing earlier, um, you know, Lenin in left-wing communism said, you know, in politics, it's absurd to concoct a general rule that would serve all cases. You've got to have the brain to analyze the situation in each individual case, and then apply it in a much broader scale to to bring about that, that real um, major change in society.
1: Yeah and I think that point about kind of how class struggle is what changes society and which is at the, at the core of of dialectical materialism is really important because when there's a struggle, when there's a protest, when there's a fight of working class people there is this change in consciousness of realising that what's happening right now is not good, that they're being exploited, that they're being discriminated against, oppressed but To make this jump to the solution, you have to understand how society works. Because I think it's 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 again kind of like criticism that's like thrown at revolutionary socialists all the time that we're utopian, we're thinking about kind of a society that is kind of like a a paradise, but there's no way to get there because capitalism is the way. Uh, But when you look at, at this. Kind of theory of uh, dialectical materialism, you look at the history and the way that history has progressed and you see that it's not always been like that. Class society hasn't existed forever and even capitalism has existed for even less of that. And when you see how history changes, suddenly you can think, okay, so how do we change the way that history is going right now? How do we of go into this process and when you realise that at the core of it all is class struggle then revolutionary conclusions are basically the only way to go from there.
2: That's absolutely correct and I'd just like to, to expand upon the point of, of class struggle or it's to to some degree to, to say, to spell out something that's inherent within class struggle. Because I think flowing from the the idea that we're we're based upon con- our consciousness is based upon conditions in society, is a collective approach to changing um, to changing things and how we act, and I think that's you know in the core of of Marxism that we have a collective. We have a collective consciousness, a collective memory, but we have to have a collective action, moving away from just individual actions. And to a degree, when we talked about idealism before, idealism will focus on the individual, um, that it's all down upon the individual. Now I'm not saying individual choices play no part in how society develops. We all make individual choices every day. But you know, I'm not poor because i spend all my money on satellite tvs or on fags and booze, that might be part of why i'm poor um but i'm poor because of the way society's organized and the level of my pay Uh, and i'm not going to resolve that fundamentally individually um fundamentally you're only going to resolve it by taking collective action
3: i think that point about Uh, being poor is a really good one because, you know, you could draw this to its logical conclusion. You know, some poor people might be poor because they spend all their money on these things and aren't very responsible with their money or because they're lazy is what we're often told, isn't it? That uh, poor people are just kind of scroungers that haven't put in a decent day's work in their life. But actually, you know, even in a hypothetical situation where every poor person in the whole world worked as hard as they could and, and, and live like monks, you know, they'd still be poor people because society is organised on a basis where it needs people, uh, you know, that are unemployed, people that are desperate for housing and, uh, you know, need to sell their labour to uh, make ends meet. And obviously, if that wasn't the case, then, you know, the world would be a much better place, but it's not like that. Um, and that's why we have this philosophy. It's why we're uh talking about how to change society and uh you know i think the the kind of classic quote from karl marx himself about this actually is a good point to kind of uh bring up that philosophers uh up to now have only interpreted the world but the point is to change it which is obviously what we're trying to do in the socialist alternative we don't just kind of sit here and talk about dialectics um, and talk about workers on the picket lines and stuff. We're out there uh, supporting struggle and building struggle and in many cases, leading struggle as well and uh, fighting for that change. Because as has been mentioned, it's it's something that, you know, isn't just gonna happen um, just from willing it. We've got to kind of actively go out and build that and fight for that change.
1: I think it's also important to say that this theory did not come out of books and sitting in a university hall. It came out of being part of the struggle. When Marx said it, he didn't just say it because he liked the sound of it. It's because this philosophy came from him and Engels being involved in those struggles, seeing the conditions that workers uh, have been in, talking to the workers, seeing how their consciousness has changed, and studied history to see how we got to that point and how we're going to change it and actively involve themselves in the attempts to change it.
2: I think that's, you know, that, that, that's so true. And I think in um, it's important to to take the time to, to look at what's going on in society, you know, and to read and to study. that. That's I'm I, I don't want to downplay that, but um, if that's all you're doing, you're going to fall short, you're going to be that passive observer. You have got to be, to, to coin a phrase, be out in the streets. Um, now, of course, I'm speaking generally. There are people, because of their individual circumstances, um, you know, who aren't going to be able to literally be out on the streets. But collectively, that that's where we need to be. At the moment, collectively, we might all be sat in bedrooms reading and studying. Um, but that's only that's only while we're in lockdown. You know, we know that we we need to spend a part of time learning um and studying, but we will learn much more by being out in the streets affecting actual change.
1: Yeah, and I think I think this is a great point to finish on because we are not sitting here in this in our respective bedrooms talking about philosophy because we enjoy talking about philosophy, even though it's very interesting, don't get me wrong. We're doing it because this is what prepares us to go out on the streets, and we have to have the best of both worlds. We have to have the theory to back us when we go out on the streets and when we struggle and when we organise to fight against the system and to progress this class struggle. But we are not going to do it just by learning theory. We have to go and combine this theory and praxis together. Um, So thank you so much, Dave. And I just, before we all go, I want to urge anyone who's heard this and was convinced by this theory from about 200 years ago that... Come and don't just sit, about, sit around in your room and listen to us talk about it. Come and actually join us and discuss this with us. And when it's possible, come out on the streets and fight together with us and workers, youth, and everyone who is uh, oppressed by this system. So thank you so much, Dave. Thank you, Connor. And hope to see you uh, next month for another episode of Revolutionary Ideas.
0: Thanks to our three panellists for this excellent episode of Revolutionary Ideas. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on all of our platforms. More episodes will be coming monthly in 2021 and no doubt beyond then. Until then, make sure you follow us on our social media platforms. On Facebook, we're Socialist Alternative ISA England, Wales and Scotland. On Instagram, we're Socialist Alternative Dot EWS. On Twitter, it's Socialist Alt EWS. And last but not least, on TikTok, it's Socialist Underscore Vids. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you next month when we'll be discussing the Communist Manifesto. See you then.